Turn your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 1. And uh, we're going to share a few different verses with you. My Sunday school class, Faith Bible class, we meet in the auditorium. And uh, our class began about six weeks ago, a study in the book of Acts. And to me, it's one of the most exciting studies that you can ever have. I love this book. I love the Gospels. I've taught Matthew. I've taught John. Uh, we've taught uh, uh, several things from the book of Genesis and the Old Testament. We've studied the life of Daniel. We've done a lot of things in my Sunday school class. Nothing has excited me any more than the heritage of our faith, the heritage of our church. Um, it's exciting to me to search and research where we came from and uh, the beginning and the birth of the New Testament church. And that's what this church is. It is a New Testament church. It's a Baptist church. And uh, we're thankful to be a part of the great commission that Jesus commanded the apostles and the new believers to go out and do that very thing and take the Word of God to the ends of the earth. And so it's a great study. And as I said, I enjoy studying our spiritual spiritual heritage. I'm amazed how many people are into this thing and they're fascinated with uh, uh, their ancestry. They want to research where they came from and who is their family in their family line and their heritage. And uh, boy, I just looked a few days ago just for interest sake because I'm not particularly interested in researching very much. I'm afraid of what I might find. I may find out that I, uh, Dillinger was in my family or, uh, Bonnie or Clyde and I don't, you know, it'd be a sad day for me to find out that I had a bunch of gangsters or mobsters or whatever. But, uh, I'm fine with it. Now, my dad, uh, was Irish. My mother was Scottish and her last name was Shelton. And, uh, so I get that unique blend. Somebody said, we, sounds like to me, Irish and Scottish, you got a pretty good reason to have a temper. And uh, in my younger, younger days, I'm not proud of, but I did have a bit of a temper. But the Lord's helped me with that. But I'm not interested in studying those kind of things, but a lot of people are. I've got a cousin who traveled over to uh, Europe and, and to Scotland and to Ireland, and, and, and they did a lot of research. And now she wants to sell us a copy of her findings and pass the expenses on to us a little bit at a hundred dollars a copy. I've yet to buy one and uh, I may up and buy one one day, but uh, that'll only come about if I have an extra hundred bucks to put through something like that. But you got your Bibles at the book of Acts and I want to start by reading just one verse, one verse that all of us perhaps have uh, committed to memory at one time or another. But the Bible says, in chapter 1, verse 8, But ye shall have power. Ye shall have power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all of Judea, and in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And these are the last words of the Lord Jesus Christ, commanding these twelve apostles and whoever else was there as a witness. And we're not real sure how large that crowd was. There are some things we're very sure of. That church began to grow. Some days later, the church began to grow when Peter preached a great message on the day of Pentecost 
and there were 3,000 souls added to the church that day. A few days later, he preached yet another great message and another 5,000 souls were saved. And then after that point, they, be, they quit identifying numbers and they just started describing it by the fact that it was multitudes were coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. My, what an exciting time. We've had some revivals here at Faith Church where we've seen 30 and 40 and 50 people saved before. Never forget the Tom Farrell revival, the first we ever had with him, and had two or three more. We had well over a 100 people saved in a week's time. And so what an exciting time this was for this New Testament church. And I love studying my spiritual heritage and the things that uh, take place. Years ago, I wasn't able to be a part of this, but David Crow who works with the Home Missions Department, he invited a number of pastors across our denomination and they went off and they headed north and went through several states and up into New England and they were tracing the heritage of free will Baptists. And my father-in-law and mother-in-law, they went, Brother Dan, Miss Brenda went, a number of other pastors and ministers that I knew and they came back telling us the excitement about the tracing of the church of the free will Baptists and our heritage and, and those prominent figures, those men and women uh, that were in the beginning days of our denomination. And that certainly would be a very fun and an intriguing type trip to take. I don't know if they'll have another one. I'm not sure if I'll ever be able to uh, take a part of that. But I know this. I know where my church started and that was in Jerusalem. And that's where they were. They were gathered in Jerusalem and Jesus told them to stay there, to wait there, and that He was going to send them a precious gift. And so they were gathered. I want you to look with me, uh, if you will, in verse 14. There's a lot more verses I could read to you tonight, but for time's sake, I just want to share a few verses and then give you a thought. Something to take with you, something to ponder on, to consider to apply to your life and apply to my life. Remember this, anytime a man of God is behind the pulpit preaching to anyone, any group of people, he is preaching to himself as well. I need this and I hope and trust that you'll take this and apply it to your own life and I certainly plan to do that as well. But the Bible says in verse 14, look there with me, uh, they were gathered and... Um, uh, the upper room, and they were in fellowship together. All the apostles are listed in verse 13. But look in verse 14, the Bible says, And these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with His brethren. There was that delegation of believers many of them that were there at the ascension of Jesus going up, and the two angels there that uh, uh, commanded them to uh, uh, stay faithful, stay uh, waiting here in Jerusalem, and understand that God has given you a great promise to wait for. And of course, they did that for a number of days. In fact, this illustrious group of believers and followers they gathered days later, and that's what starts chapter 2, verse 1, that it was the day of Pentecost, and the Bible says that the day of Pentecost was fully come. And they were there, and they were waiting, 
as they were commanded and instructed to do. There was great excitement. It had been ten days now. Ten days, and they had been praying. They had been unified. They had been waiting. This is an amazing little company of people. The Bible tells us that it numbered about 120 people. That probably included the 12 apostles, if it did not, or the 11, I should say. No, it would be 12 because Matthias was now voted in as a part of the 12 and replaced Judas Iscariot, as we know the story there. And so here they are. They are together. They're bonding. They're praying with one another. And um, and I believe they're doing something that you and I ought to be doing all the time, and that is developing a heart for God. That's my message tonight. Developing a heart for God. You say, Brother Sloan, you've been in the ministry for a very, very long time. You've been saved since you were a 14-year-old teenager. You mean to tell me that you're still developing a heart for God? Frankly, I think every believer gets up every day determined to draw somewhat closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they have this appetite to know Him, to love Him, to serve Him, to honor Him, to be closer to Him, to know Him better today than I knew Him yesterday. You know, we go through life and we go through a lot of experiences, some very exciting and wonderful, some very sad and heartbreaking. Sometimes we just go through days that they're just like any other day, and then other days we meet some challenges, some trials, some temptations, some difficulties. I talked about that a lot a week ago Wednesday night. I talk about how to deal with anxieties, with problems, trials, and temptations. Why? Just trying to be on the practical side. You're going to go through them. I am, am going to go through more. And, uh, and so we need to be equipped. We need to be prepared. But when it comes to this thing of developing a heart for God, I believe every Christian begins that journey at salvation and we constantly grow, we constantly move and work towards a goal, a goal of being just like the Lord Jesus Christ. I never will be in this life. I'll never have a perfect heart. I'll never have an absolutely clean, pure heart except for the righteousness and the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ and for the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary. He has saved me. He's redeemed me. But I'll never be rid of the temptation to sin, to do things that would uh, 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 affect my testimony or hurt my relationship with God. We, unfortunately, with a sinful nature, are going to sin. We're going to do wrong. But we hope that we grow and there's some things we never ever repeat again. There, you know, I tell people from time to time, you couldn't tempt me with a lot of things. I don't have any temptation whatsoever towards drugs or alcohol or pornography or, or watching inappropriate programs on television or, or going to certain places of vice and and so forth. I don't have a problem with gambling. I don't have a problem with cursing. And I don't have a problem with... There's so many things and we could make a long list of things. But I still battle the flesh. I know you do too. All of us do. And there's a lot of... I, I have to battle my attitude. And uh, there's things that we need to work on. Well, this great company of people, there's four things about them I quickly see in this New Testament setting 
that was true of them. Number one, they were a preserving company. They were preserving company. The thing that I love in this verse, it says in verse 14, these all continued. They continued. There's something preserving about that. This was a faithful group. I don't know if all 120 people that were gathered in that upper room had known one another, one another very long. We know 12 apostles, or at least uh, the 11. And Matthias was probably somewhat of a, a group connected to them for a year or two during Jesus' ministry, but he wasn't an apostle. He wasn't one of the chosen and called 12, but he was connected to them. And they made that decision because of his relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw his ministry, witnessed his ministry. He saw miracles performed. He heard the parables. He heard the great messages that he preached about heaven and hell and, and, and all the various things that he taught the people about. And so there was a connection there. But how long had they known one another? I'm not sure. I do know this, that at this point in time, they were continuing to be with one another. There was this unification. They were uh, in fellowship with one another. And they, they were demonstrating their obedience to the Lord. Then number two, they were a purposeful company. They were a purposeful company. They continued with one accord. Now we're not talking about a Honda Accord. We're not crowding 12 people into a Honda Accord. I used to try some crazy things like that back when I was a teenager. We tried to see how many people we could fit in a little Volkswagen Beetle. And that was ridiculous. I'm telling you something. Uh, I didn't want in the front seat or the back seat. I, I only did that a couple of dumb times and, and I didn't repeat that after that. It was just uh, ridiculous cramming the bodies into that little Volkswagen Beetle. I can't imagine how many people you can get in a Honda Accord, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about that they were in one accord. They were united. They, uh, they had the same goals and objectives. They were collectively waiting on the promise that the Lord Jesus Christ had promised them. You know, I don't think they really had any idea what they were about to experience on the day of Pentecost. Uh, I knew that, I, I feel certain that they felt like it was going to be something exceptional. It was going to be something amazing. It's going to be something wonderful. And it truly turned out to be. But it wasn't what they thought. And uh, I, I think the same thing is true about heaven. And uh, heaven is sounding sweeter to me all the time. And, and I love reading what scriptures, what verses we have about heaven. And then I try to read in between the lines and I try to imagine what it will truly be like. We've got a, a fair description, but the truth is, number one, it'll be far more beautiful than what we ever suspected. But it's going to be far more exciting to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be there. It's going to be exciting to be able to see family again, friends again. Especially exciting to see people that we've had an impact on, that we help groom or nurture or mentor, people that we've led to Christ, people that we gave assurance to, people that we taught in the Word of God to help groom them and help them grow in the Lord. And I'm looking forward to all of that. And I'm excited about it. But we can't completely understand what 
heaven's going to be like. I just know this. I'm signed up. I'm paid up. I'm prayed up. And honestly, I'm ready to go up. And I hope that's true of you. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, you can't go up. You can't go to heaven until you have had a born-again experience with Jesus Christ and He become your personal Savior. And you have to recognize that you're a sinner. That shouldn't be hard. I knew it at age 14. I guarantee you, I probably knew it at age 4 that I was a sinner and that I needed uh, the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can have it too. It's free for the asking. It's just believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, believing in Him and trusting in Him, and asking Him for a home in heaven one day, and ask Jesus to come into your heart and fill you with the Holy Spirit and guide you and direct you and help you in your life. So, they were a preserving people. They were a purposeful people. And then praise the Lord, they were a praying people. They truly spent time in prayer. The truth of the matter is, they spent about ten days praying one with another. You know, it's, it's sad, but statistics tell us, and if the people are rendering answers that are truthful, and they're trying to be honest with themselves, and they're trying to help those people taking the surveys so that we can get at least a fair estimate of what people are doing, many Christians don't even pray ten minutes a day. It's hard for me to imagine that. I heard someone giving an illustration the other day and they were talking about that they were in a mechanic shop and there were cars there in the bay and people were back there working on vehicles, changing oil or replacing parts and repairing the cars and said one fellow was back in the back and he took and he unfurled a rug and he laid it out. And this fellow obviously was a Muslim and he was stopping there during the day at some time, appointed time, and he was kneeling to pray for a given period of time. This person didn't give any idea as to how long it was. But just to have the boldness, the conviction, the practice, and didn't matter where he was, it was time to stop and pray. You have to respect that. Unfortunately, he was praying to a false god. Unfortunately, he wasn't praying to a god that even heard him. And how sad. And of course, that's where we come in. It's our job, our duty, to try and tell the people who to pray for. That there's only one God and only one person that will offer salvation to you and I. And that's the precious Lord Jesus Christ. But they were a praying company. And they met and they prayed for 10 days. I don't know what your prayer life is like. I know I should add time to my prayer life. And by the way, from time to time, I do. I don't know what your prayer list looks like. Mine's growing, not shrinking. And it's just amazing. All the sickness, all the needs, the lost people that I hear about and learn about that you and I need to be praying for and then put feet to our prayers and go and talk to them and witness to them. But uh, these people were praying. I don't doubt that they were fasting. And I'm just wondering, how's your prayer life? When was the last time you prayed 10 minutes or 10 hours or maybe 10 days? Uh, there was a time in my life, in fact, there's been three or four times, frankly, where I desired something of the Lord. 
and I took time to pray. And once I prayed for nine days. Nine days. And I fasted and prayed during that time. And you know what? God gave me a wonderful answer. The truth is, I'm here today as a result of that prayer meeting that I had with God many years ago when I was in Alabama and trying to seek God's face, His will for my life and the direction that He had had Peggy and I be led into. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things we can do that are great and effective for our life, but there's nothing we can do that will help our life any more than to spend time reading this book, memorizing this Scripture, applying it to our life, and spending time praying with God. And, and, and that's the best advice I could give you. I don't know much about investments. I've got some money invested in a couple of different areas and some things and Edward Jones and, and, and a couple of things trying to prepare for retirement, which I probably will never retire completely. Uh, uh, it looks like I'm going to work on for a little while longer. But I, I, I know this. I know about investing in your heart, investing in your mind, investing in your spiritual life and how to groom it and help it. And then the last thing about these folks, that this was a precious company. It was a precious company of people. As I've already said, they were united. They were in one accord. They were in full agreement about why they were gathered in that upper room. They were excited about what God was going to do. Did they understand and comprehend all that was going to happen? Of course not. Aren't you glad you don't know the future? <laughs> I don't want to know the future. I'm not interested, not the least bit. Look, if I could see the future and I knew I was going to have an automobile accident and something was going to go wrong or going to be a bad day, hey, I wouldn't even get out. I wouldn't crank up the car. I might would just stay in bed or on the couch or in the recliner. I wouldn't go anywhere because I'd be so paranoid about what's going to happen and so frightful the accident was going to happen. I don't want to know the future. i tell you what I do want to know. And you know what I'm going to say. I want to know the one who holds the future. Amen? I want to be the one who knows who holds the future. And so what I see about these people is they were sold out. They were desiring to have a heart for God. Their prayers, their fellowship, their supplication, their unitedness, it brought them together closer. And you know who else it brought them close to? The Lord Jesus Christ. It brought them closer to their Almighty Father, their God. What does a heart for God look like? Three things, and I'll close tonight. A heart for God looks like this. It's a desire to know Him better. And you know, this is the ABCs of living for Jesus. How do we know God better? How do we know God in the first place? Everything I know about God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit is in this great, wonderful book. This God-breathed, inspired book. Many people have written books on it, which I appreciate, that have the ability and understanding to kind of break some things down, interpret and help us with, and give us a different perspective of, and I read from them a great deal. But the Word of God is the greatest commentary on the Word of God. And I'm thankful for what I know about God. 
that I know Him because I read His Word. And I encourage you, pursue pursue a life of knowing God better. Loving God, knowing God is the goal of every believer and we need to do that. And then secondly, a desire to obey God. Have I always been obedient? No. I'm sorry to say. I have in my memory bank some thoughts and some times, occasions when I should have listened to the Word of God. Where I should have listened to God better. Where I should have listened to my pastor's teaching or preaching a little better. I've disobeyed a time or two. I disobeyed my parents a few times that I'm sorry for. But you know what? The night before the trial, the night before the crucifixion, Jesus told His disciples, if you love Me, you'll keep My commandments. And I really believe that's a test of your love. If you truly love Jesus, you'll keep His commandments. You'll do right. Jesus said in John chapter 28, verse 29, John said, I'm sorry, it's in chapter 8, verse 29, For I do always those things that please Him. If Jesus wanted to please the Father, the Son of God wanted to please the Father, don't you know as your as His children, we ought to please Him as well? And then lastly, and I'll close with this, there's not only uh, a desire to obey Him and a desire to know Him, but there should be an, a desire to share Him. Share Him. Years ago, when I asked Peggy Cordell to marry me, and uh, she told me yes, Boy, was I relieved by that one. I'm telling you, I was so excited. I, I couldn't hardly wait to get home to call and tell somebody. Didn't have cell phones back then. They wasn't even a thought. Uh, they were certainly not on the market yet what I would have done with a cell phone in those days. But when she said yes and accepted my offer, my invitation to be my life's partner, it was one of the greatest days of my life. Salvation is here and Mary and Peggy was here, okay? And I didn't mind being number two. Uh, she'd tell me that little story sometimes. She'd say, well, you understand, right now you're number three. Man, I don't like being number two, much less being number three. And I said, well, who on earth number two? Mom and Dad. Hmm. Well, we're going to work on that. <laughs> and we've worked on that. But uh, what a what a desire we should have to share Him and tell. Well, I couldn't hardly wait to tell folks about Peggy and I but I did get busy and started telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. I encourage you tonight, I challenge you, do three things. Desire to know Him better. Desire to obey Him. And desire to share Him. Go and tell. Acts 1.8 Father, thank You for the privilege to preach Your Word tonight. And I pray that You would challenge my own heart, increase my desire to honor You, to please You, and to share the good news about a loving Savior who gave His all on the cross of Calvary for our sins. We love you and we praise you. In Christ's name we ask and pray. Amen.